Amen. Thank you, lady. Second Corinthians four. Second Corinthians four in your Bibles. It is so good to be here. I appreciate you. I enjoyed having lunch with some of you uh, this afternoon. I love college students, and I love talking to you and spending time with you, finding out where you're from. That's one of the interesting thing about pastoring a military church is uh, the number one question I would ask people is, so where are you from? Because military people love talking about home. And so it was always an opening, and I've traveled enough in the country that I could relate to most people. And I appreciate that. Wasn't it a blessing to hear from Pastor Ingram this morning? He's one of my favorite preachers, I'm telling you. I appreciate that. I appreciate what he said about giving up coffee. Or not coffee, but um, drinking his coffee black. What a challenge. You're a better man than I am, brother. I'm telling you that much right now, man. Now, I am, you know, I've committed to lose 25 pounds this year. I lost 25 pounds last year between 25 and 30 pounds, and I want to lose 25 pounds this year. I'm spending the first couple months gaining it back, and then I'll work on getting it back <laughs> off after that. <laughs> Amen. Second Corinthians 4, I, um, I, you know I flew helicopters in the Army, and I love flying. One of the hardest decisions I ever made in my life was to quit flying helicopters. I quit flying 30 years ago. Uh, this summer will be 30 years, and I could still fly a Blackhawk. I've got about 2,500 hours of flight time, but the electronics has changed so much. When I was flying, we didn't have any navigation system. We just had a map and a compass and a clock. I mean, that's how we navigated, which I was grateful. I'm grateful for that. I really am. Um, <laughs> one of the men in my church was a special ops pilot. He flew for 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. And he was telling me about a check ride that he took, and he's flying he's in one of the little birds, and uh, he's flying along, reading his map. They had to have a map backup. They have pretty advanced GPS now, but um, he's reading it, and all of a sudden, uh, the helicopter stopped, and he said, Mark. So the guy, uh, uh, my church member, had to put the position where they were on the map. He had to mark his map to identify his position. So they got back, and... Um, they were evaluating him, and he got downgraded because of his mark on the map wasn't right. It was six feet off. I couldn't right now, standing here, mark on a map where I am within six feet, I don't think. And so it, it pretty, I'm grateful for it, but it was just, just very hard. One of the things I enjoyed the most, though, was giving helicopter rides. Uh, how many, anybody in here ever been in a helicopter? A couple of you. God bless you. I'd love to give you a helicopter ride. You'll never go again. <laughs> we used to have contests to see who could get the people sick first in the back. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, it was. One time, <laughs> they had to clean it up. But um, one, one, one time, we are, we're flying, and I had a crew in the back. And, you know, we try to make it fun for the guys. So we're flying with doors open. And we did all our flying at or below treetop level. So we're scooting along the trees. You know, cruise is about 120 knots. We're going between 120 and 150 knots, depending. I mean, right down on the trees. If there's a, you know, trees, we dip up. We go down in the field, come back up and dip down. And one time, I'm scooting along the field, and here comes a tree line. So I just pulled back on the controls and started what's called a cyclic climb. I'm just climbing, 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 climbing. And I intentionally ran out of climb and forward airspeed at the same time. And so we just kind of stopped, and I coordinated this with my co-pilot and my crew chief, and just as we did, I kicked it over on its side, and we started falling out of the sky like this. And as I did, 
the co-pilot and the crew chief just started screaming their guts out like we lost control of the aircraft. Now, that wasn't the amazing part. The amazing part was all the guys in the back opened up their mouths and no sound came out. It was, they opened up their mouths so wide their whole head disappeared. I mean, it was just unbelievable. That was fun. They didn't think so, but I did, and I was in charge. So, you know, we, we had another thing which we, we called stabo operations. And what we would do is, uh, it was downed aircraft procedures, we would drop a rope 125 feet, drop a rope down, and the pilot and the co-pilot would be in the woods. And we would fasten the rope like a harness to ourselves, and they would extract us out of the woods hanging 125 feet below the helicopter. Well, these guys apparently didn't like me. I don't know why, but they didn't like me. So as we're flying and we're coming up to where we're going to land, there was a tree line there, and those guys on purpose lowered the aircraft early, and I'm bouncing off trees trying to, I mean, I'm pinging off of trees hanging there 125 feet below the helicopter, but that's okay because I flew next. <laughs> and so when I picked them up, we went right to the lake. <laughs> I, I've got a picture of it. Two guys going down into the lake. One of them's waving goodbye in an act of surrender. And the other one, he had eyes that big, he's trying to climb up the rope. <laughs> I, you wouldn't know this, I love life. <laughs> I, 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 I've been so fortunate. I, I just can't believe the Lord lets me serve him. You know what I mean? And I'm so grateful for all the things I've done, all the places I've been. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here today. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. I think that's what I told you. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. Skip down to verse number 14. The word of God says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but of as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the issue of who is sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us this afternoon? Lord, thank you for these young people. Lord, they've got their whole life ahead of them to serve you. What an opportunity you're giving them, God. I pray that while they're here, you would help them to soak up everything they can. Lord, not just the academics, but the spirit of this place. The zeal, the fervor, the hunger for the things of God and the word of God and the spirit of God. And Lord, I pray that you would just mold them into your image so they can then take that around the world. Lord, bless us now, I pray. Bless these words I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul had to deal with a lot of problems with the church at Corinth. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it seems like every chapter he was just having to solve another problem. Now, I appreciate the fact Paul wasn't afraid to solve those problems. Paul confronted them head on. He didn't sweep them under the rug. He didn't ignore them. He didn't minimize them. 
but he dealt with every problem. You know, the problem of, of almost man worship, the problem of the misuse of gifts, the problem of, of, of marriage issues, the problems of a gross immorality, uh, the problems of lawsuits. It's just every chapter he's dealing with a different problem. And then when he comes to 2 Corinthians, it seems like every problem had been dealt with except really for two. One of those was, what do we do about this man that we dealt with with his gross immorality? You know, in 1 Corinthians, they were so caught up in the, 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 the love aspect of loving people that they didn't deal with the sin. They ignored it. Oh, look at the great love that we're demonstrating by the way we're handling this guy. And Paul had to rebuke them. He had to correct them and say, no, listen, uh, th this is so bad even lost people know it's wrong. And so he had to deal with that problem. Folks, can I encourage you? Let me remind you of something. The church is the conscience of the community. And we've got to understand who we are and who we represent when it comes to our community uh, where we live. You know, I'm, I'm in Owensboro, Kentucky. Before that, I was in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Hopkinsville, Kentucky was known for the military base, but it's also the birthplace of Jefferson Davis. And now in Owensboro, Kentucky, it's known for barbecue. Barbecue and bluegrass. Matter of fact, the Bluegrass Hall of Fame is in Owensboro, Kentucky. I sleep better at night knowing that the Bluegrass Hall of Fame is in Owensboro, Kentucky. And so the mindset is, is very different there. And so what Greater Vision Baptist Church needs to understand is we are the conscience of the community. The community has got to look to us as how people of God should carry themselves in every scenario. With this COVID situation, during these tornadoes that I talked about last night, we've got to understand that. And Paul was trying to get the church at Corinth to understand the same thing. So he confronted these problems. They successfully, my understanding is, dealt with those problems, except for, okay, now what are we going to do about this guy? Before they were just turning a blind eye to it and demonstrating love. And then, but after Paul confronted them, the pendulum swung, it swung completely the opposite direction. And so now they're, you know, and, and I'm probably being a little harsh in my words, but they're basically just holding his head underwater until they get this problem solved. And Paul had to say, okay, wait a minute now, let him up. You know, let, let's restore him. Let's get him back into the fellowship because isn't that the purpose of church discipline? The whole purpose is repentance and restoration. Let's get him back to where he needs to be. So Paul was helping them deal with that. The other problem Paul was having to deal with in 2 Corinthians was a challenge of his apostleship. You know, who do you think you are? You know, you don't, you don't talk good. You don't look good. You you know, you're short or whatever the, the issue was that they were confronting him and belittling and demeaning and, and promoting themselves. And so Paul's having to deal with this problem. And it's interesting what Paul does here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. Uh, we, 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 just like Paul, have to deal with challenges in our lives and in our ministry where you are serving now and where you are going to serve. But we need these challenges. 
We need to be able to deal with these challenges because these challenges help us. Number one, they help us to see where we are in our relationship with God. How are you doing in your relationship with God? You know, if I were to ask you, how many of you know you're saved? You know you're on your way to heaven? Well, you know, I, I'm, I feel confident that we'd all be raising our hands saying, yes, I know that. But then if we were to ask this question, how many of you could say with certainty that you are godly? And now we're saying, oh, Brother Shaver, you know, I, I, I don't know if we can say that. Don't you think that would be haughty? Brother Shaver, don't you think that would be proud if we were to say that we're godly? I, I don't think it would be any more proud than for me to say with certainty that I know my sins are forgiven and heaven's my home. I don't think it would be. But I think it's because sometimes we're confused about by what standard we measure ourselves. And so as a result of that, it contributes to confusion in our lives and problems in our lives, which Paul talks about. Comparing ourselves among ourselves. Rather than comparing ourselves to the ultimate standard, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be able to have these challenges in our lives so that we can see where we are. I think another reason we have to have these challenges is because it humbles us. I, I, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I need that grace. I don't want God to resist me. I don't want God, I don't want greater vision Baptist church. I don't want me as a pastor. You don't want you as a college student. You don't want to have God resisting you. And so as a result of that, rather than God being the one who is doing the humbling, we need to humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Because we want to make sure that uh, we are where we need to be. And so the Lord allows these challenges to come into our lives so that we humble ourselves or so that we are, hum are humbled. Folks, it's that important. We've got to understand that. But I also think that we have these challenges that we face because these challenges help us to be better prepared for the greater challenges that we're going to face down the road. I, I, I don't say this to discourage you. And I don't want to do anything or say anything to discourage you. But life is hard. It is hard. It's hard as a single person. It's hard as a married person before you have children. It's hard when you start having children. It's hard when those children become teenagers and your children move out of the house and strangers move in because you don't have a clue who these teenagers are. <laughs> it, it's hard when uh, the teenagers leave home and now where mom and dad were right here encouraging them and challenging them and helping them, now mom and dad aren't right here and they're out there making these decisions on their own. That's very hard. I honestly thought it would be easier once my children were grown, but it's not. And then it's hard when your children start having children. It is hard. And we're just talking about family now. We're not talking about ministry. And so, and I've taught my kids this. 
I've taught my kids that they need victory in the challenges they're facing today. That's what you need. You, the, I don't know what your challenges are, but you're facing challenges. And you need victory in these challenges that the Lord in his sovereignty is allowing to come across your path. You need those challenges and you need to have victory over those challenges because right around the corner is another challenge. You know, you know, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. My wife has Guillain-Barre or she's dealing with the after effects of Guillain-Barre, uh, a disease that left her paralyzed. Boy, you talk about changing your life. You know, six years ago, she was stricken, and, and it was, it's a four-week attack followed by a four-year recovery, and she's six years into that four-year recovery, and she's only about 70%. But God, our wonderful, loving, heavenly Father, knew about this. And he allowed this, and it's changed our whole life. You know, I, I will tell you that... Um, uh, we, we made some health, dealt with some health challenges, uh, things we were trying to do to improve ourselves. Uh, in the last quarter of the year, uh, we started that, and it, my wife responded really well in that she went to church more in the last quarter of the year than she had for the six years after she was stricken with this. My wife who loves the Lord and is as all in as anybody you could imagine, physically just was not able to go to church. But the Lord knew that. And this was a challenge she needed to face. And I would share with my children, you have challenges you need to face and you need victory over this challenge right now because there's going to be another challenge waiting for you and you've got to build off of this challenge. And the same with you. This challenge you're dealing with right now, and I don't know what it is. And, and to you, and I don't want to minimize it at all, to you it may seem so huge and so significant. But listen, how many of you have younger brothers and sisters or sisters at home? Raise your hand. Sure. Now, can I say this? They're dealing with things in their life. And you and I have to be very understanding of that because if we're not careful, we will minimize their challenges. And I'm saying that because the challenges you're facing as a college student, somebody who's been out of college for 10 years or for 20 years, you know, they could do the same thing. Are you with me? So you, you need, you need to help your brothers and sisters, but you need also to have victory over these challenges. And so that's where Paul was. And that's what he was confronting them with. Look, look at some of these things he talks about. Look at verse number 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Paul's talking about <clears throat> unfailing success right here in verse number 14. And when he's talking about unfailing success, he's talking about it from two perspectives. The first thing he's talking about is how, you know, <clears throat> thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. He's talking about the triumph that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Always causeth us to triumph. Always causeth us to triumph in Christ. 
That word triumph is the word that's associated with military parades. To be in the victory parade, you had to be on the winning side. And what God is saying here is, is, is if you're on my side, you're always on the victory side. The rules governing, governing these processions were quite, quite strict. Listen to this. The general must have been completely victorious. He must have subdued the enemy. And the victorious soldiers must be brought safely home. At least 5,000 of the enemy must have fallen in one single engagement. The general must have gained positive territory, not merely defended territory already controlled by Rome. The parade started with public officials, followed by trumpeters, followed by spoils taken from the conquered land, followed by a white bull for sacrifice, followed by the wretched captives in chains. Then came the musicians. At length, the conquering general appeared in a chariot pulled by white horses. Then came his family, followed by the victorious soldiers. As the procession moved through the streets, the people shouted, Triumph! 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 It was a day so grand that a man might experience once in a lifetime. So do you see the picture of this parade? In this picture of the parade... This is the picture that Paul is trying to get the church at Corinth to conjure up when he's talking about the triumph we will have in the Lord Jesus Christ. This parade is nothing compared to the triumph God wants you to have in your life. So he's talking about the triumph. And all who are on the winning side will mark, march in the victory parade. But not only does he talk about the triumph, he also says, and make manifest the savor of his knowledge, watch this now, by us in every place. So now he's talking about making manifest by us in every place. We know that word manifest basically means pull the curtain back on the stage and reveal what's behind the curtain. And he is saying that revelation is taking place by us. Now you think about that. That means I have a responsibility to share with people around me what God is doing and what God is doing in my life. But I want to tell you, the way that happens, the greatest way, the most significant impact on that is the testimony of a changed life. So I share with people about the forgiveness of God. I share with people about the love of God. I share with people about God's grace and I share with people about God's mercy. But what happens is they see the way that I carry myself and the way that I live my life and that is what has the significant impact as I am making manifest what God is doing. And that's you. With these... Uh, uh, Freshmen that, are, that have come in or are coming in and uh, with these who, who maybe are considering coming to the college, they want to see through you the work that God is doing at your life here in Menominee Falls. They want to see that. They want to hear about it. And that's what he, Paul's telling the church at Corinth is going on there. Hey, listen. God's causing us to triumph through Christ and you're the one who's going to demonstrate that 
by the words you say and by the life that you live. Do the people I come in contact with know that I love the Lord? I was in a Chinese restaurant one time. Uh, I have what I call a restaurant ministry. <laughs> believe it or not, you wouldn't believe how many people have come to our church as a result of my restaurant ministry. It's amazing. Um, and the owner of the Chinese restaurant, I was with my son, Nate, the one who's on deputation, but this was years ago, probably 10 years ago. And he came to me and he said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. He said, are you a pastor? And I said, yes, I am. I said, are you a Christian? And he said, no. He said, but I have many questions. I said, sit down with me and let's talk about your questions. He said, no, I have many questions. I said, well, let's set up a time where we can do that. And we set up a date and he provided me a free lunch. I love a restaurant ministry. <laughs> and so, so I came back to that Chinese restaurant and he came out with a notebook, a four inch binder notebook. And he opened it up. Whoop, and he started talking to me and we started talking about the things of God. Hour upon hour upon hour. He didn't get saved. But the seed was planted. And I was so humbled. Can I say, humbled to the point of tears that a stranger would come up to me and ask me if I was a Christian. How many times when I'm in my car, how many times when I'm in public, how many times am I saying something or doing something or carrying myself in such a way that would cause people not to think that I'm a Christian. And that's what Paul's talking about right here. He's talking about this unfailing, excuse me, yes, this unfailing success. But number two, not, a, not only does he talk about unfailing success, Paul's talking about an undeniable impact. Look at verse number 15, an undeniable impact for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish to the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. Okay, so now we, we, we triumph in the Lord Jesus Christ we are making that manifest to people that we come in contact with. Maybe it's at our work. Maybe it's in your ministry. Maybe it's in the community. Maybe it's in your own family. And so we are demonstrating the work of God in our lives. And then he makes that statement. He said, it's a sweet savor. He said, but the challenge is to the one it's a, uh, to the saved, it's a sweet savor, but in them that perish, to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. Now that's a challenging statement. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, hey, to this crowd over here who loves the Lord, by the way that you live your life, by your love for the Lord, by your commitment to things eternal, this is a sweet savor. It's a source of encouragement. It's uplifting. You're helping people. I want to be an encourager. 
I want people to love the Lord as a result of my influence. Does that make sense? We'll talk about that more tomorrow. But I want, I want to live my life in such a way so that God can work through me to help people love the Lord more. And to people who love the Lord, by the way you're living your life, by the work that God is doing, you are a sweet savor of life unto them. But that same life that you're living, to people who don't love the Lord, it is a message of condemnation to them. And so you are challenging them. And can I say, not everybody's going to be happy. Oh, you're here. We've been waiting for you. That's not the message you're going to get from everybody. You know, I, I, it was interesting. The nice thing about being in Kentucky is you go door knocking, and, and for the vast majority of people, they like you. My daughter was going with me. This is while she was a teenager, and, and uh, we were knocking on doors. And, and we come to this one house where the garage doors open, and uh, you can see the screen door going into the kitchen there. Well, I've been around long enough to know, so rather than knock on the front door, I just went into the garage and say, hello, it's Brother Shaver. And they said, Brother Shaver, come on in. So my daughter and I went into the house and we howdied. In Kentucky, you howdy with people, okay? You got to learn the vernacular down there, all right? So, so we were howdying down there to the people and we talked, man, it must have been for 40 minutes and it was a great visit. And, and we left and my daughter turned to me and she said, Dad, how did you know those people? And I said, honey... I've never met those people before in my life. That's Kentucky. And for the most part, that's the way it is, especially for a preacher. And I'll even say, hey, listen, I'm a preacher. Let me tell you something that will have an impact. You, you, you could say something, ma'am, ma I'm, I'm a Bible college student. Is there anything I can pray for you about? You'll be amazed at the responses you get. My wife and I were picking up a Christmas tree one year at Lowe's and um, the woman was there and, and, you know, I got it loaded up and, and I turned to her and gave her a gospel tract. I said, ma'am, I'm a Baptist preacher. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And she broke down weeping and she said, my mom just died. And so I was able to talk to her and give her some comfort. We prayed right there on the spot. And so the door was open and the seed was planted right there. Another time I was going through a car wash and um, I was getting ready to get my uh, car cleaned and the person said, are you a preacher? I said, I am. And she said, have you ever preached at Living Hope Baptist Church? I said, no, I'm sorry, I, I've never preached here. She said, I know you from somewhere. I said, well, maybe you saw my picture in the post office. I said, but it was a side view. I was holding up some numbers. And said, no, she said, no. And I said, no. I said, um, she said, I know where it was. She said, it was you and your wife in O'Charlie's. She said, I used to be a waitress at O'Charlie's. She said, and I remember it because you took good care of us. I want to be the best tipper in my town. Because I want people to say, I wonder if he takes care of his church members that good. And so I, I left a nice healthy tip. And, and, uh, and she said, and you asked me. If you could pray for me about anything. She said that was three years ago. And I said, she said, I told you my mom was dying of cancer. She said, and you prayed for me right there for my mom. She said, I've never forgotten that. 
the, uh, the preacher yesterday, I think Brother Van Gelderen, called them divine appointments. And those divine appointments, that's serious business. But not everybody's going to be excited about that. One of the rare times that didn't happen is I was out door knocking and I knocked on the door and here comes a goth young lady to the door. And the door was open, very nice house. I said, hello, I'm Pastor Shaver. And she started screaming at me. To be honest with you, I don't know for sure what she said. And if I did, I probably couldn't repeat it anyway. But um, she was saying some things and she just screaming at me and she slammed the door. The only problem was it had one of those real tight seals on it. So it closed to a certain point and once it did, it started opening back up again and I'm just standing there and I just went. <laughs> and I said, young lady, listen, I don't want to bother you, but if I can do anything for you, let me know. You know, and that's the exception, but I'm telling you, for someone who loves the Lord, your testimony is going to be a source of encouragement for them. But for this other group right here, they're going to hate you even more they're going to fight against who you are and what you do. Your stand for purity in today's society. In my son's case, there were a group of people who got a pool together to see if they could rob him of his virtue. Now he told him, he said, listen, what I have, he said, what I have, I choose who I give it to. He said, you don't have that choice. That's what you're going to be dealing with. And you have to understand that as a child of God, we must, we must live the victorious life. And that's what Paul's challenging people with right here. The incense that the priest swings, it was the smell of victory, but it was also the smell of defeat. We preach and some believe. We preach and others reject. I'm dealing with a man right now in the hospital. He's dying. He's been drinking himself to death. 47, 48 years old. Not saved. Went through a difficult situation several years ago where, where his girlfriend took his, her own life. And he shared with me some things he believes contributed to that. And I talked to him about things of God and he, he rejects. And I talked to him about the love of God and he rejects. And I talked to him about the forgiveness of sin and he rejects. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit of God, here's where I draw hope. God wants that man saved even more than I want that man saved. And as I'm dealing with him about the things of God, even though he rejects, I rest in the fact that God wants him saved. But not everybody's going to fall on their face and cry out in joy for the fact that I've arrived. So what I've got to do is understand there's this one group over here, but there's another group over here. Think about what we receive when we come to Christ. Forgiveness, pardon, 
adoption into God's family, a new birth, a new life, eternal life, peace with God. We're declared righteous. God's wrath is turned away. We are accepted by God into the beloved. We are redeemed from our sins. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Jesus Christ intercedes for us. God invites us to call him Father. We join the worldwide family of God. We have a high priest in heaven who is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. We are equipped to serve the Lord. We have an eternal inheritance. We become citizens of heaven. We are predestined to become like Christ. All things work together for our good. We are now reconciled to God. Christ lives in us. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have a home in heaven. We will someday be raised immortal and incorruptible. And we will someday reign with Christ. But wherever that message goes, it has always created controversy. Jim Elliott said, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to a decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. We, we don't control how people respond. I read a poll where most Americans have had someone attempt to present the gospel to them and they report it was an unpleasant experience. Now think about that. I'm not saying because of the way the person presented the gospel. But it could be because of how it made them feel. It could be because for the first time in their life they were confronted with uh, an eternal decision. Paul dealt with the same thing. And then he makes this statement that I just love. Who is sufficient for these things? Can I tell you? I'm not. Can I tell you? You're not. I have in the 20 years I've been in the ministry had people question my call to preach. I, I don't think you should be a pastor. I have to agree with them. But I said, who should? Who, who is sufficient for these things? I am what I am by the grace of God. And so are you. And so when somebody challenges you, who is sufficient for these things? When somebody tries to demean you or they try to belittle you or they try to question your calling, who is sufficient for these things? You are who you are. You are where you are. You're doing what you're doing by the grace of God. Now for me, that's a glorious thought. What a wonderful picture of deliverance. Let me give you one more thing and then I'll let you go. We talked about this undeniable impact. We talked about this unfailing success. But lastly, I point your attention to unquestioned integrity. The end of verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which 
corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God, speak we in Christ. I was talking to uh, the pastor yesterday and he made this good statement. He said, Brother Shaver, the problem with big tents is they blow away. Another missionary said it to me like this. He said, you can have a limited message or you'll have a limited fellowship. You can't have both. In other words, if I want to have an unlimited fellowship, I'm going to have to limit my message. And if I'm going to have an unlimited message based solely upon the word of God, that's going to limit my fellowship. But my responsibility is not to handle the word of God deceitfully. My responsibility is not to corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So you and I can't corrupt the word of God. We must speak truth in sincerity. We must speak it courageously, knowing that ultimately the one we answer to is God. So my question to you this afternoon is this. Do people see a changed life in you? When they see you, do they see someone who loves the Lord? You know, President John Kennedy, even though he was a liberal, he's more conservative than a lot of conservatives today, to be honest with you. President John Kennedy told his wife, uh, Jackie Onassis Kennedy, he said, walk slowly through the crowd. Do you know what he was saying? I've got to be willing to touch the people that I come in contact with. I'm not talking about physically touching them. I, I'm talking about having an impact. I, I'm talking about knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. What change has God wrought in your life? You know, uh, Pastor Ingram talked about out of James this morning our responsibility in the way that we live our lives. And Paul says, yes, we, we need to live a godly life and not be double-minded and we need to walk in wisdom and we need to walk uprightly. But then Paul builds on that. And he says, and you need to do that so that you can have an impact on people around you. So that's my question. What impact are you having on people around you? May God help you this semester. Academics are so important. How much time do I need study? And the answer to that is a little bit more. Doesn't matter what the answer is, I need a little bit more. How much biblical knowledge should we acquire? And the answer to that is a little bit more. I am ashamed 
that as a 61-year-old man, I am ashamed at how much I'm learning from and about the Word of God. Not because of its unsearchable riches. I'm ashamed because I feel like I should have learned these things a long time ago. But the question is, what are we doing with what we learn? May God help you do something with that. Amen. Let's pray.